0: If you're a foreigner trying to become a US citizen, there are a number of hoops that you need to jump through before you're able to receive the rights and privileges of being a US citizen. Once you get through, however, all of those rights and privileges are yours, just the same as any other citizen. For those of us who were born in the States, however, we don't know what it was like not to be a US citizen. We've enjoyed the rights and privileges all of our lives. And in a way, there's a parallel we might see in the church. Some of us were once not a part of the church, and we remember those days, what it was like to be outside of God's church. But then we entered the church. We heard the gospel, maybe for the first time, believed its promises in Christ, and were baptized into the name of the triune God. Others of you, however, you don't remember a single day in your lives when you did not know Christ and the love of God. You were baptized as infants on account of the membership of at least one believing parent and have always been a recipient of the promises of God. You've always been in the church marked as a covenant child. And... Today we'll be exploring the topic of baptism and its role in the life of the church. We'll, um, first, I'll try to give a little biblical overview about baptism as the sign of the covenant. Uh, and then after that, we'll discuss how we appropriate the benefits of baptism, how we apprehend those benefits. And then third, very briefly, um, very briefly we'll consider the relevance of baptism even in our daily lives. And so these will make up the the three main sections. The first section being the circumcision of Christ. Second, how to receive the benefits of your baptism. And third, you are baptized for life. Again, that's the circumcision of Christ. How to receive the benefits of your baptism and you are baptized for life. So we'll begin with considering the circumcision of Christ. This section will consider the place of baptism in redemptive history and its connection specifically to the Old Testament sacrament of circumcision. The sacraments are signs and seals of the promises of God. The, The sacraments mark us as recipients of those promises. When God made a covenant with Abraham, as we're told in Romans, Abraham received the sign of circumcision as a seal of the righteousness that he had by faith. God made, a promi- uh, God made a covenant with Abraham in which God promised that Abraham and his offspring would be the chosen people, God's chosen people, to then receive an the land of Canaan. And this was fulfilled in the nation of Israel, Israel being, the nation of Israel being the offspring of Abraham, who then inherited the promised land, that, um, and it happened exactly as God had promised them. Yet this was not the final fulfillment of that promise. You see, the author of the letter to the Hebrews states plainly that Abraham was not ultimately looking forward to an earthly Jerusalem, in an earthly promised land but rather he was ultimately awaiting the heavenly Jerusalem in which God's people from all nations would gather to inherit the new heavens and the new earth. In this final fulfillment, even Gentiles became the offspring of Abraham, though, uh, and they became the offspring of Abraham through Christ, and so they received the promises made in the Abrahamic covenant. This Paul states directly when he says, and if you are Christ's, then you are Abraham's offspring, heirs according to the promise. God, made, uh, God might have promised Abraham a people and a land and sealed it with the sign of circumcision, but you might, some might wonder, well, what exactly did circumcision seal to the believer? The sign and a seal, but what did circumcision seal? Well, put rather simply, circumcision sealed both justification and sanctification to those who received it by faith. The outward circumcision signified the inward circumcision of the heart, in which the spirit would soften the heart of the believer, create faith, and cultivate a life of repentance and obedience. And the bloody rite, resulting in the cutting off of one's flesh, pointed forward, forward to the one who would be cut off for his people. Now, circumcision itself wasn't a sacrifice per se, but it did belong to the period of history in which blood rites pointed forward to the final shedding of blood in Jesus Christ, who won righteousness, forgiveness of sins, and eternal life for all of those who would receive it by faith. Though the blood rites and sacrifices ended with the fulfillment of the old covenant in Christ, these promises themselves didn't go away. In fact, the substance of the Abrahamic covenant continued and is shared with the new covenant inaugurated by Christ. After all, Paul tells the Galatians, he says, the law, meaning the old covenant under Moses, which came 430 years afterwards, does not annul the Abrahamic covenant previously ratified by God so as to make the promise void. Though the, though the Mosaic Covenant passed away in Christ, the Abrahamic Covenant and all of its promises are actually continued into the New Covenant. And this might, might lead someone to ask, well, okay, if the Abrahamic Covenant is substantially the same as the New Covenant that we're in now, should we then continue the practice of circumcision as the sign and seal of the New Covenant? And Paul answers this. He answers this even when he says, in Christ Jesus, Jesus, neither circumcision nor uncircumcision counts for anything. So the answer is no. Circumcision itself is not the sign and seal of the new covenant. And this is what our confession states when it says that Christ, by his shed blood, put an end to every other shedding of blood, and that he abolished circumcision. Our confession then goes on to name the sign and seal that Christ instituted in the place of circumcision. And that, that new sign and seal is Christian baptism. The text we read today makes this connection between circumcision and baptism plain. Um, we read in verses 11 and 12, in him also you were circumcised with a circumcision made without hands by putting off the body of the flesh. By the circumcision of Christ, having been buried with him in baptism, in which you were also raised with him through faith in the powerful working of God. Paul calls baptism the circumcision of Christ because baptism has now replaced circumcision as a sign and seal of the Abrahamic promises in the New Covenant. Instead of pointing forward to the bloody sacrifice of Christ, baptism now pictures the washing away of sins by the blood of Christ, which the Holy Spirit does inwardly. In this new period of history, there is no more blood to be shed. But the promises that God will gather for himself a people, namely his church, and will bless them with righteousness and the forgiveness of sins in Christ, and will deliver them into the promised land that is heaven? You see, these promises still remain today. Therefore, since the Abrahamic covenant has not been abolished, nor its promises, now it might be a good idea to ask, okay, who are included in this covenant? To whom are the promises of God given? When God made a covenant with Abraham and gave him the sign of circumcision, he told him, and you can read this in Genesis 17, this is my covenant which you shall keep between me and you and your offspring after you. Every male among you shall be circumcised. The answer is just as the promises were for Abraham and his offspring and are now for believers and their children, so too the sign and seal that we now have, baptism, this is the new sign of the covenant for both believers and for their children. And it is commonly said, pointed out that, well, the Bible doesn't explicitly say baptize your babies, at least not in those words. And that's true. And it's also often pointed out that it doesn't say explicitly in these words, do not baptize your babies. However, though... The command to baptize children is not explicit in that specific way. It comes very close to being explicit. Some might even say explicit. You see, when speaking to a people, a Jewish people, who have always included their children in the covenant... When Peter says at Pentecost, repent and be baptized, every one of you, in the name of Jesus Christ for the forgiveness of your sins, and you will receive the gift of the Holy Spirit. For the promise is for you and for your children, and for all who are far off, everyone whom the Lord our God calls to himself. You see, you have to consider what the crowd was just told, this Jewish, predominantly Jewish crowd the promises for you and for your children. You see, this is Abrahamic language, spoken to the sons of Abraham, and they would have recognized it as Abrahamic language. Therefore, because the ultimate promises of the Abrahamic covenant continue into the new covenant, and because the sons of Abraham and their children were the recipients of these promises, all believers in Christ and their children All who would be included into the covenant community are to receive the sign and seal of the covenant baptism. For those who would exclude the covenant children born to believers, to put it simply, the burden of proof is on them. Unless the New Testament were to explicitly state in in those sorts of words, do not. It seems natural, even right, to understand Peter's application of baptism to believers and their children to mean exactly that. And so, having covered that overview, let's now consider how to receive the benefits of your baptism in this next, next section. Just as, the circum, just as circumcision, or sorry, just like circumcision, baptism is a sign and seal of a twofold benefit justification and sanctification. Baptism signifies the once for all cleansing of our souls of sin by the blood of Jesus Christ. And it signifies the transformative inward work of the Holy Spirit, making us increasingly more like Christ outwardly. However, baptism by itself does not actualize these promises. And this might lead someone to ask, well, then how then do you receive the promises signified in baptism? Now, first of all, we want to be careful not to separate the sign of baptism from the inward washing that it signifies. To receive baptism is, in fact, to receive the promises of baptism. Nevertheless, though baptism marks Christians, even infants, as recipients of God's promises, they appropriate and apprehend those benefits by faith and by faith alone. To every child who has been marked by baptism and received into the covenant, they have indeed been given the promises of the forgiveness of sins and everlasting life. And they receive these promises then by faith. Now, of course, whenever we're talking about sacraments, We're entering into some mysterious territory, and of course mysteries can be difficult to illustrate. (laughs) Um, And sometimes they simply ought not to be illustrated. Um, Metaphors do break down, but I do want to try at least to convey uh, with an illustration how we receive the benefits of baptism. Um, So this is meant to be helpful. You see, when an infant is baptized, she is the recipient of promised blessings. We might equate this to an inheritance in her name, you see. Though her inheritance is kept safe for her in a bank elsewhere, the inheritance does properly belong to that baby girl. However, her inheritance still awaits the day when she, will, when she can finally appropriate those funds for her own benefit. The inheritance was, no, um, was surely no less hers before she finally gained the capacity to make her withdrawal. But for, for her to actually benefit from her inheritance, she must appropriate those funds herself. In baptism, all of the blessings in Christ belong to that baby girl and they await the day when she appropriates those blessings by faith in Jesus Christ. Of course, there is another side to this. Just as the promises must be apprehended by covenant children by faith in order to receive, um, by faith, for those who reject the promises of Christ by not exercising faith Well, for them, the same baptism that promised blessing in this case becomes their curse. You see, after all, the same waters that baptized Israel when they walked through the Red Sea and were delivered from Pharaoh are indeed the same exact waters that drowned the Egyptians. So baptism bears both promises and a warning. The blessings of baptism are for those who receive them by faith. But for those who reject Christ and forsake his covenant community, they have placed themselves in grave danger and they need to repent and believe the promises that were once made to them. Now, this can be a hard saying, a hard saying especially because we probably all know those who have been baptized and who have left the church. Some of them, we can't even imagine returning. How can a covenant child become so lost? But while it is today, while it is today, there is hope. Your heavenly Father hears your prayers on their behalf. You and I can only see today. And for those who have, been, who have backslid and who have left the church, those of you, who have backslid and have left the church, but then returned. You see, there might have been a time when you seemed too lost to be found as well. But you were found. Our good shepherd knows his sheep, and he is more than capable to bring the prodigal home. The the prodigal may not have appropriated the benefits of his baptism by faith today, but tomorrow, he may. And for this, we indeed pray. Now for our final point this evening. This will be rather brief, but this section will be, you are baptized for life. When baptized into the Father, Son, and Holy Spirit, all blessings are afforded by the Trinitarian work of God, um, all blessings afforded by the work of God are promised to you in this baptism. The fourth paragraph of this article provides a list of blessings that not only create a new uh, that not only create a new person in Christ, but which shape the entire rest of our lives, straight on into eternity. The confession lists washing, purifying, and cleansing our souls of all filth and unrighteousness, renewing our hearts and filling them with all comfort, giving us true assurance of his fatherly goodness, and clothing us with the new man and stripping off the old with all its works. Baptism seals uh, seals you to Christ for all of eternity. Therefore, there's not a single day of your life where your baptism is not relevant. As the Reverend Dr. Hyde puts it, baptism is the sacrament of initiation into a life of discipleship. The fact that you are baptized should be a reminder to you that you belong to the Lord. Commenting on the practical benefits of daily recalling your baptism, John Calvin said this, he said, As often as we fall away, we ought to recall the memory of our baptism and fortify our mind with it, that we may always be sure and confident of the forgiveness of sins. Though some of you may not be able to remember the event of your baptism, well, remember that John Calvin couldn't either, nonetheless, never forget that you are a baptized person. Don't forget this. Baptism may not leave, uh, leave the same sort of visible mark that circumcision did, but baptism is no less a mark of God indicating that you indeed belong to him. And this is why there is no need to be rebaptized. Baptism is God's mark that he has placed on you. Not an expression of your love, but an expression of his you bear his mark, and you belong to him in love. Therefore, appropriate these graces of your baptism by faith and receive nothing less than eternal life in Jesus Christ. Let's pray. Thank you for listening to our podcast. We hope that you were edified and encouraged to this gospel message. Belgrade URC is a Reformed Bible-believing confessional church that is based in Belgrade, Montana please visit our webpage, urcbelgrade.com, that is B-E-L-G-R-A-D-E.com to find out more information about our church and utilize our sermon archive. Most of all, we hope to see you sojourning and fellowshiping with us each Sunday. Until we meet again, may the Lord's blessing and peace be upon you.